Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. But I thought I'd start by getting you um, both to introduce yourself, if that's okay. Sure. My name's Christine Kelly. I'm a community pharmacist, and I'm one of the spokespeople for CAPS. My name's Pepe Rasa. I'm one of the spokespeople as well. I'm from pharmacist from Warrawong, which is a suburb of Wollongong, New South Wales. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd ask you to tell me about the new direction um, that CAPS was going in with regards to getting pharmacists involved with, um, oh, to get pharmacists' voice heard by Parliament. The new direction you've taken, can you please tell us about that? So, obviously, we've uh, had some really good response from uh, rallies that we've held in Sydney and in Canberra. The times have changed. The, the landscape for rallies has sort of changed with the international uh, issues that are occurring. So we're taking a different tack to get the attention of the government and make them understand how important the community pharmacy role is and the community pharmacist in their community. So there's going to be at a uh, by-election in the Dunkley electorate in Melbourne. We as uh, pharmacists are going to present the information there to show how the government is pretty much uh, ripping the heart out of community pharmacy with the 60-day dispensing policy. So it's a it's an anti-60-day uh, message, and it's uh, just highlighting the, the health inequalities of some of the policies that the current government has sort of put into play. So just to elaborate on that one, there were two other rallies that were going to be held at exactly the same time. Now, we didn't want to be competing for airspace, nor did we want to have the risk of many significant messages getting mixed at the same time. So there was the anti-wind farm rally, as well as the Palestinian rally, which was supposed to be on today. Now, we were only informed last week the Palestinian rally has changed it tomorrow. So, but by the time we were told of the update, we had already decided to pivot because obviously for us, we need to make sure we have we need to make sure there's governance over any of the money that our CAPS community has donated to the cause. And we need to use those funds properly. We don't have unlimited funds. And for that, we need to make sure that that money is used in the best way possible to deliver the strongest message that we can to the Labor government that what they are doing is exactly what Pepe said, ripping the heart out of healthcare in Australia. And Australians actually deserve better. We all know this. Healthcare in Australia has always been number one, but for some reason, the Labor government is adamant on making us a third world country at the moment. And that's not what we're wanting. So can I ask about your strategy now regarding the by-elections? So obviously we uh, are presenting a united front in 
the Dunkley electorate across the uh, majority government centred booths. We understand there's about 32 uh, booths. We're obviously recruiting a lot of our Victorian colleagues who have been very keen to assist. Um, I guess it's their turn. It was the Sydney Siders' turn first up. Now, uh, Canberrans and everyone across the country came to Canberra, including some of our Melbourne colleagues. But the, the, our Melbourne colleagues have been uh, very, very vocal in wanting to do something. They have been quite uh, vocal in some of the teal electorates down in Melbourne, uh, currently represented by medical practitioners and sort of trying to explain to them the health, the, the health damaging issues associated with 60 days for some of those pharmacy patients. And so they're very keen and there's a hell of a lot of uh, pharmacists there who want to present a united front and an education opportunity for those who are undecided in that electorate. And as you can probably imagine, during most by-elections, they're quite politically fueled. Uh, the government usually uh, is very much interested in not losing a seat at a by-election because uh, in the end, it's a bit of a progress vote. Our, um, our federal election seems so far away, but the time sort of is, is quickly elapsing. So it'd be a nice um, reminder about the general attitude in the electorate widely and obviously in the electorate down there in, in Dunkley. So it's an education message. Uh, it's basically these are the issues that are happening with 60 days. These are the consequences of 60 days for pharmacies, for pharmacy patients, for service availability, and the simple fact that uh, the message, the policy is, is broken. It's not doing what it intended to do and that was having uh, cheaper medicines for all Australians. Fortunately, the, the number keeps changing. Went from 4 million when we were down in Canberra at question time, went down 2 million, there was modelling being done. We are of the mindset that cheap medicines should be available for all Australians and not for a small minority that um, are victim to the numbers, basically, who don't really, will, don't really reach the safety net or a general patient, a real minority, basically. So explaining that to patients in a face-to-face. And it's what every pharmacist has been doing in their pharmacy every day since this has happened. Everyone's asking that question, and it's a, it's the question of whether or not uh, are they actually going to benefit. And most patients, I'm sure Christine has had this instance as well, once it's explained to them, they're actually quite irate and upset that it's been presented as a saving when it's not. Christine, I'm, I'm sure you're... Look, I mean, we've continuously told the Labor and the Liberal government that in community pharmacy, being the forefront of healthcare in Australia, we see 1.2 million patients every day. So for us, this Dunkley by-election is really the first time any healthcare professional um, un has come together united to show what we can do. And this is how we are going to apply the pressure because this government doesn't want to listen to us. They don't want to consult with us. They don't care if we're kicking and if we're screaming, but they will care if they lose their seat. And unfortunately, the only way that we're going to be able to do this is to actually show up with the truth, because we have always run 
with the truth campaign here to their voters and make their voters realise that voting for Labor means that healthcare in Australia will be ruined, broken, torn apart, and that is not what we want. And that is the way that we're going to have to go forward. So the message that we really want to put out there now is that not only are we going to be at Dunkley, we're going to be at the Cook by-election to show and tell people not to vote for Labor either. And we're going to be at every by-election or election, doesn't matter whether it's state or federal, we're going to be there until we get an eighth CPA that ensures that community pharmacies stay viable and ensures that we can stay open for all of the patients in our communities out there. Because as I said before, Australians deserve fantastic healthcare and they also deserve to have cheaper medication, all 26 million of us, not just 1 million or 2 million or you know whoever happens to benefit very, very small case. So, yeah. So I guess I'd ask what your thoughts are about what some of the announcements might be with the 8CPA and when you think it might actually, when the announcements might be made. I guess the fact that we're having this action in Dunkley means we're not very encouraged uh, by the proceedings. And as if, if you've watched some of the messages that have sort of come through from some of our CAPS uh, groups, WhatsApp groups, each state, that uh, the, the noises that usually happen leading up to a CPA with the people that need to hear them, i.e. those some of those software vendors and all these other associated companies that really need to change their uh, programming and, you know, advance notice hasn't happened, hasn't happened at all. So we're not very encouraged by the fact that um, none of that's happened and we're not really um, of the confidence that there will be an agreement in, you know, what are we here? 23 days. So regardless of the fact if a CPA is uh, delivered, we will be at Dunkley anyway. I, I believe that this needs to be, as Christine said, the power of 1.2 million interactions on a daily basis. Uh, the way that community pharmacy has been treated in the last 12 months has been the worst that any of our predecessors have ever been treated. And we, we, we're always um, looking back to what CAPS 1.0 had happened to them. And they had a government that was quite belligerent that took them on and tried to cut the, the PBS markup, that health minister, like... We as, uh, as pharmacists have always been in that top echelon of trusted health professions and we're, we're being vilified in the media as uh, money grubbing, you know, basically we need to sell more perfume, that we're crying poor, all these things. And it, I, I don't really understand where this has come from. I'm welcome to see that the health minister has now attacked doctors as well, that they should, uh, you know, ring around to find a bulk billing GP uh, it really shows to the GPs that, you know, that the health minister has no idea about what healthcare means. He thinks that a GP is like a convenience store you buy your milk from, that you can just go anywhere. I, I don't see a, a doctor being very happy with that sentiment. And welcome to the party. We've been spoken to like that for months, a year now. I, 
I, I thought we were one of the most trusted professions here, highly regarded in the community, and we're being vilified by a government. I'm not sure why, but I guess at Dunkley we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll bite back basically and, and make them realise that this is something they need to really pay attention to, and um, it's we 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 won't won't be ignored anymore. Yeah, so I suppose what we've seen here is that the health minister doesn't really understand, nor or does he, he doesn't put a value on service, whether that is for pharmacists, so that's our fight, or whether it's for the general practitioners out there either. So realistically, he's attacking all forms of healthcare, not just pharmacy. And in the end, the general public will realise that this is all, all going to go back to a healthcare, um, to their health going downhill. And this is not what we want. So we need to actually work united, if that's possible, for the health minister to understand that they need to pay us for our service and value all healthcare professionals for what we truly are. And and that's what that's the message we're going to deliver to Australians out there those 1.2 million a day. So by the sounds of it, you said that um, you'll proceed with going to the by-elections despite the 8CPA result. So I guess you have some concerns about what 8CPA might deliver. Yeah, well, look, we we have concerns and obviously uh, the Guild being the main body uh, doing the negotiations is not going to sign an agreement that's going to have uh, detriment to effect on us as an industry. You got to think any industry representative body is never going to sign something that's going to be detrimental to their members and to ultimately the patients at the end. Like if, if we were maritime workers, we were truck drivers, we were whoever it was representative body, nobody would, representing a whole industry would sign something at the detriment. So in the end, that, that's been quite vocal. Our uh, guild leadership has said they're not going to sign a bad deal. The fact that we haven't, as I said, some of those supporting bodies heard, um, no, obviously we're, we're at Dunkley. And as um, Christine said, we're at Cook came coming up in April. And we'll be up until the next federal election. As uh, a lot of our members have said, we, we have really big pharmacy windows. We have 1.2 million interactions. And I think everyone, we had a member in Sydney happy to say that she was going to explain why she had to charge more or charge at all for some of those dose administration packs, that the costs associated with these packs were necessary to continue the service as a result of the government cuts. So she had a lot of unhappy patients in a very government uh, strong area uh, who obviously will understand that they were now being charged for something that they were told was going to be saving them money with the left hand and they're now being charged with the right. So that's something where it's not going to stop from this little by-election. It's not going to stop the next one. It's going to lead up until the next federal election. The general sentiment for the government is it, it, it's getting worse. They're, they're getting closer together, both part, major party options. Uh, as Christine said, health minister's obviously not respecting the role of pharmacists as a healthcare team on one hand talking about a role 
extension and ripping out the heart of pharmacy through the dispensary remuneration. Now, we can't have a full role if we're not remunerated properly. You can't have staff in play to assist in those extra roles if the pharmacy is not viable. Now, this is health minister, unfortunately, he uh, not just got pharmacy wrong. He's not just got general practice wrong. He's not just got aged care wrong. He's not just got vaping wrong, very wrong. Urgent care centres, in my area here, two urgent care centres, deputised GP practices, promised certain hours, certain days. That's across the country. It, it just seems like he's, uh, and it, we've had this message, well, a minister is being led by his department and not leading. But it seems like that's the case with multiple departments of the, the government. We had reports that the Treasury uh, leading tax cuts as opposed to the Treasurer leading tax cuts. So it just seems a bit odd that the whole government's being led by bureaucrats who are strongly anti-pharmacy as well. I've never heard a rhetoric against pharmacy from uh, government department officials ever. This level of rhetoric, and it's just, it's constant. It's safety net rejections. It's nixoid nasal sprays. It's it, it just anti-pharmacy. It's not very uh, workable attitude here, which is, they're, they're a part of the system as well. And it, 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 you can very much see that there's an anti-pharmacy angle here. And I don't feel encouraged when when we have this belligerent uh, attitude from from government officials and from health ministers. I, I don't feel imbued with confidence. When last time this happened, when caps 1.0, the health minister was unfortunately uh, removed because it just wasn't tenable. They say history repeats itself. So definitely reiterating everything that Pepe said. Look, there's very little faith in the Labor government being able to deliver a viable HCPA to community pharmacy. Um, they've been called liars over many issues, not just health. So we've seen it through the advertisements on TV, through their social media channels, spruiking what they've done, when again, they're just broken promises, lies, and even more lies. So to me, it doesn't really show that there is a pro-pharmacy agenda for them at all. Can I ask what comments or sentiments you might have for anyone in the pharmacy um, in the pharmacy realm that is involved in the HCPA negotiations? If anyone of the pharmacy representative, I, I I can only wish them luck dealing with the belligerent attitude of some of the people that we've dealt with. Uh, I hope the sentiment changes somehow. I, I don't see how or why, uh, you know, this sort of attitude is present to towards us. I'm sure if you ask, you know, a hundred pharmacists whether they are being treated respectfully and professionally by the health department officials and their staff, I'm sure you would get a very ninety, much ninety percent uh, against the fact that we're we're not being treated very well here. And I, I don't know why. Um, I'd say I'd, I'd hope uh, good luck to those. We aren't imbued with much confidence. I hope I'm wrong. But like I said, it's 23 days. Uh, soon after that is the Dunkley by-election. I guess we'll see what happens soon enough. So I have Zofran wafers in my dispensary now that Stematil is discontinued. 
So I'd offer that to them first so they can stomach whatever they're having to face. But what I would do is I would give them words of encouragement because as a profession, this has actually united us. If anything, through COVID, that united us to some degree. We all became, you know, we all supported each other. We all looked out for each other. And now with this seventh CPA being ripped up and us being undervalued by the government nationwide, if anything, it's put a fire in our bellies and it's gone, hey, we're actually going to use this superpower of ours and we are together stronger. And that's what I would remind the Guild, the PSA, whoever's in there actually advocating for community pharmacy, that we've got their back, that together we are all stronger. Thank you. What can pharmacists do? What can pharmacists do to support you? What can pharmacists do to support the cause? Well, I guess initially it's um, join one of our CAPS WhatsApp groups. You can keep up to date with that. If you are not part of one of those groups, then uh, please contact one of us through multiple channels. LinkedIn is one, then, you know, we can connect you there. Uh, be part of that Dunkley by-election. We, we, we're going to make a call out to the local pharmacies. We have a list of all the pharmacies in Dunkley uh, electorate. We're one or two very, very strong advocates of our CAPS Victorian groups. But if you are in and around the Melbourne area, make yourself known on, on the by-election day. Uh, talk to your colleagues in that area as well. CAPS has sent out posters into the Dunkley electorate and across the country. Put the poster up, even if it's a question that shows it's a very heart-grabbing heart being broken and split apart. So it's quite emotive. It, it, it certainly draws a lot of uh, imagery and sort of thoughts to say, look, this is what the government now is doing, is ripping apart community healthcare through pharmacy. So put that up, have the discussion with your patients. Your patients are the most important advocates for themselves and their own health, and they love to hear the truth. A lot of pharmacists uh, get their question. They, they're often the consulting point for a lot of medical issues. The doctor told me this. What do you think? Uh, what do you think I should do with this? In the end, the funny thing is the government, when with 60-day dispensing, every single person that they put to talk to was every person but their pharmacist. It was like, hey, this is going to affect the safety net. Talk to your doctor. Talk. It's like a pharmacist, we, we disappeared. The, the medicine, the PBS, all the things that we administer that are bread and butter for us were things that were being referred to other people about. So it was, it, was a, it was a bit of a shock. So have a chat with your patients. As a pharmacist, if you're in and around that area, we do have pharmacists coming into state as well, coming into Dunkley. So that's really encouraging. Um, it, we, we thought that that probably wouldn't be the case. People had a bit of, um, uh, you know, we're big exhausted from coming to Canberra and everything else that's going on. But yes, we have quite a few uh, interstate pharmacists coming. So it'd be great to have. Now, this is something we, we got mentioned in, in Canberra. Apparently, the white coat is a belligerent uniform. It's a weapon. It's weaponized. So it would be great to have our weaponized white coats present on some of those electoral booths in Dunkley 
I think simply their presence will be interesting. A lot of people will ask why a bunch of pharmacists aren't in their pharmacy, but rather at an electoral booth on Saturday uh, talking to potential voters, basically. So that that was, uh, who was that, Christine? Was that uh, one of our friends, Zali Stegel, I think? Yeah. She, she wasn't very impressed with people turning up in the uniform. Uh, I don't know what they were expected to do, whether they were supposed to strip and go in naked. But uh, yeah, that, that all those pharmacists were in their work clothes because that's what they work on a day-to-day basis in their white coats. So present yourself in your white coat down in Dunkley as a as a, uh, a strengthening of the weaponized uh, uniform that Ali Stegel brought up. Exactly, you know exactly what Pepe said. Put your posters up. Talk to the 1.2 million patients that you see every day. Those 1.2 million patients are voters. That's what will get the Labor government listening to us. Talk to the minister. Get your patients to talk to their local minister as well. Also, I would ask the CAPS community to put forward their ideas to us. We are a team of 10 people. No idea is stupid. Trust me, there's loads of ideas get put forward all the time, and we need fresh ideas. If you have something that you think will work in your area, come forward, let us know, because we want to be your voice. And that's the reason we exist. So I think that's really important for us. So then we can continue with this truth campaign. We can continually break out the lies that is happening um, and put the pressure on to make sure that we stay viable, we stay open, and we remain being able to look after our patients in our communities. That's the important part. So my final question for you, unless you, unless there's anything I haven't asked you, um, <laughs> I guess I'd ask you um, how you think 2024 will look for pharmacists. Isn't every day an absolute surprise? I remember sitting at APP, it was my first APP, and I remember listening to Helen and Anne Rustin was the first speaker uh, half an hour, an hour before. And I said, oh, look, this, this lady, I've never heard of her. She speaks so well. And then our friend got up, Mark Butler, and he announced that, uh, you know, we we didn't have to have patients sign a piece of paper anymore. And every pharmacist in that room was so happy that actually it's not even a, a permanent measure. It was a extension measure to say that. Everyone was so happy. Little did they know that behind the scenes, this guy was setting up a policy that would rip the heart of community pharmacy apart. So 12 months down the track at APP 2024, I'm not sure what's going to be said. I, I don't. I have no expectations anymore. Every day is a real surprise. I hope that this CPA business gets settled, that we have a CPA that delivers the commensurate remuneration the community pharmacists to do what they can do, which is looking after their patients. And the extension role of the pharmacist, I hope that continues on. The North Queensland trial, uh, I understand, is coming to a close, the actual 12-month study program. Uh, one of our pharmacists in New South Wales has done it. He will then bring that program here into New South Wales, and we're ready to go. Our UTI trial is going well, our OC not so well, but unfortunately we have to talk to state health uh, 
doctors who grant us the approval in certain areas to do what we need to do. We have a skin trial, I understand it's paralleled in Victoria where you are, uh, it's going to happen. So in the end, something is going to be extended across the board here, showing that pharmacists can play a bigger role. And I think that'll continue to be the case uh, into the future, basically. I, I, sp I suppose the sky is the limit. We're looking at the Canadian model in certain states, it's fullest scope of practice. Uh, we have, a, we've discussed as well about opioid replacement treatment, how the prescribers for that are dwindling, aging, 65 to 70 years of age in the next five to 10 years, none of those people are gonna be able to prescribe those doctors. Who's gonna prescribe this? I'm pretty sure we know a group of people that are ready to upskill, specialize, and step into that role. And they're, they're pharmacists. In the UK, pharmacists prescribe opioid replacement treatment as well as everything else. So I'd hope that's where Australian pharmacists role end up. But that's not going to be at the expense of a defunded dispensary. That's exactly what we don't want. That's exactly what happened in Canada. 15 to 20 years ago, and those dispensaries are non-existent. In the UK, those pharmacies are closing by the minute. So why follow the bad models that occur overseas? The models that are working are the ones we should be following. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, 60 days. Our model of 60 days is actually unparalleled. The health minister can point to, oh, but these guys have this, these guys have that in these countries. Those pharmacists in those countries can overrule based on unavailability of product. They can overrule on aged care patients and dose administration patients. Those countries being, you know, there's European, I remember Wales being on that graph that got shown by the Guild. So ours is unparalleled. The stable patient, which we've yet to meet in a uh, community pharmacy, seems to be everyone that a GP offers it to. I know in from the CAPS communities that some people are being offered uh, 60 days like it's a upscale of a Big Bang meal. Do you want the 60 days with your Lipitor? Well, who decides if they're stable? It's the prescriber. What does stable mean? No one knows. Can you give maximum repeats? Oh, actually, you don't need to. So the program was designed to open up more GP appointments for 12 months for one consult for a stable medicine, but obviously as we've mentioned in CAPS and in some of the letters we wrote to GPs, which you guys spoke about last um, podcast, was a letter that I wrote to all the GPs across Australia, that it was something that they need to consider what is a stable patient and what is the government going to do with that data on stable patients? Are they then going to go back and defund some of the um, GP care plans associated with some of those medicines? Are they then going to allow those medicines to be prescribed by pharmacists, which I believe would be okay based on the fact that they're stable, right? So sky's the limit for pharmacists. I, I guess I said everything now. Christine's got nothing to say. <laughs> That's all right, Perry. <laughs> so from my point of view, nothing would surprise me, right? So 2023, every time something got announced, anything that came out of Mark Butler's mouth, you think it can't get any worse. And then not only do we get attacked by the federal government, but we also get attacked by state initiatives where we aren't paid enough, where things are just not going to happen. 
So what I'm really hopeful for come 2024, beginning of 2025, is to have a fully funded dispensary so then we can do full scope of practice, what we are skilled for, what we are able to do. So then we don't have a scenario in Australia where healthcare is only able to be afforded by the wealthy and you can only get supermarket care for the poor because that's not what Australia deserves. And all Australians deserve to have healthcare whenever they need it and not have to concern themselves as to whether or not they can afford to see a doctor, pay for the medication or put food on the table. So that's where it's at for me. And that's what I'm really hopeful for. So it comes across from not just federal, but state as well. So regardless of whether the state government, the men's current government go, oh, it's not our issue. It is because anything that their big brother does will actually have a trickle down effect to every single state out there when we cannot facilitate the services that Pepe has very extensively spoken about. So I'd ask you if there's anything you wanted to share that I haven't asked you. I guess as uh, as caps, where a lot of people have sort of brought things to our attention and said, "Hey, uh, uh, caps is across this." As Christine says, that caps group is like ten people, but I guess every pharmacist in those groups is part of caps. In the end, it's the fact that we exist as as part of a group that uh, you know probably weren't being heard as a as an, as an industry, as a pharmacy, in the end, as pharmacists in our groups, as pharmacy assistants, as people that are, as a whole are part of our group. Uh, we're not going anywhere. Up until the federal election will be around, at least. Uh, in the end, if we can, you know, advocate for pharmacist service so patients are benefiting, uh, you know, we're sitting on a whole variety of committees and advocating at a state level, advocating at a, in a government department level uh, in meetings, you know, we're, we're always sort of there. Exactly what Peppy said. So I would just want to say to the whole community that we are the voice. We want to continue to be the voice for all the community pharmacies um, and community pharmacists because we are all very approachable. They can WhatsApp us, they can message us at any time of the night. We've had messages at 5 a.m. in the morning, midnight. And all of these things, no, as I said, no idea is a silly idea. Everyone has an idea that can be put forward and is important and valued. And unlike the health minister, we value everyone's opinion and it will get put forward to make sure that we have a proper healthcare outcome for all Australians. Even Christine's dog's part of CAPS, our mascot. <laughs> Sorry, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both so much for your time. It's, um, yeah, it was really good to hear where CAPS is going, why you changed direction, and I know your hopes for pharmacy. Um, that was- what are, your, what are your hopes of pharmacy, Colleen? I I just did a podcast with um with a pharmacist in the UK talking about the pharmacy first scheme that's just come out and hearing about the fact. So I used to 
manage a pharmacy in the UK. My pharmacy is actually closed um, as a result. So eight pharmacies a week are closing. Um, my hope is that, yeah, the government listens, recognises, appreciates. I I worry that what's happened to pharmacy is um, a representative of how they see small businesses as well. So I think that people need to be really concerned. Like at the moment, they're like, oh, that's just pharmacy. And people need to be looking at the much bigger picture that, uh, that the government is willing to uh, take away money and watch all of these small businesses close and, and just be like, okay, that's what it is. And pharmacy may be first, but it's not going to be last. And I think it's that's kind of representative of what I think people should be looking at. But I don't think people are looking at it that way at the moment. They're just like, that's pharmacy's problem and um and they and they've got all the justifications they can they can muster. But they're not looking at the fact that um in, in a few years time, what is it gonna look like? I'm disappointed by what some of the doctors groups are saying. I'm like when it first got announced, 60 day dispensing, uh, you start thinking about how pharmacy's gonna get their, their money back and if I was doctors groups I'd be worried they'd be coming after my money um at my <laughs> jobs like that's a, that's the first thing I thought of I'm like why are you sitting there um supporting the government and saying yay to 60-day dispensing because pharmacists are gonna do whatever they can to support their um support their customers and their health but they're also going to do whatever they can to keep viable um and that's the first thing I thought of. So I guess for me, I think people are looking at the short-term picture, not the, the bigger picture, um, and thinking that, yeah, what is the government going to do to small businesses? And, yes, there are a lot of uh, people currently disappointed with the government. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Um, and that's only with what they've done so far let alone what they're working on in the background, because that's what we've noticed. <laughs> like they're exactly. only, you just get to see these little bits, but in the background, I think there's there's a lot, of, there's not much trust. Um, I think there's exactly. that. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more because you look at pharmacies, the minute that we start not being able to service our patients, then those patients can't see their GPs. They'll end up in emergency yeah. departments. Their staff are already burnt out. You're going to have nurses and doctors leaving. Then you've got all the ambulance as well they're lining up as well they've got beds that like they've got patients in trolleys that can't get a bed because the doctors and the nurses inside those hospitals cannot cope with the load at the moment so if australia thinks that they've already got a problem now in five to ten years time it's going to be an absolute disaster and this is what people need to be reminded that this labor government has done this so unfortunately, it'd be up for the other governments that will come from this to fix the damage that is happening now. And I think we're seeing that in the UK, we're seeing that in America, we're seeing that in New Zealand. So that's the scary part for me and for a lot of us. Yeah, I think the most important thing is that the CPA since its inception has typically been a guarantee of some level of stability. We've had seven iterations of it since the 90, early 90s and uh, Bob Hawke initiated the CPA. And us as pharmacists have used those CPAs as a means to plan uh, our services being available for patients and the viability of pharmacy. Uh, our government tearing up a CPA in the middle is unprecedented. No one's against the premise of 60 days being discussed around the CPA being written. So then 
proper planning and stability can occur so pharmacists can meet their obligations uh, financially maintain small business because I agree a pharmacy is a small business that's being attacked and the small business um, groups are, are similarly scared they're, they're throwing support behind us because they can see that across the board that's occurring in every small business environment so I, I'd like to see that the CPA is respected so that the people signing those documents uh, have the trust and the people uh, that obviously make use of those CPAs as pharmacists have the trust to say that, that we've got an agreement for five years, that it's actually viable for five years. When this CPA is written, it will obviously be longer based on the fact that it was broken earlier so that the next six to seven years is going to have some level of stability so then people can rely on those. Like in the end, we've had discussions that, you know, financiers and covenants and bank covenants uh, will soon be called in because of the effect. It, we've had members uh, report to us that their valuation now requires a 60-day dispensing report from one of the major uh, software vendors. They want to see the impact of that on the um, viability of that actual um, valuation. So that is already happening. That's we, We've had one tranche, another one's ready to be coming through in the next 23 days and valuers are already taking into account. Now, no one knows what the full um, impact will be, but there's no secret that it's impacting the bottom line of pharmacies. And we all know that once that happens, small businesses usually do one or two things, cutting hours, cutting staff. Our staff are our community. Our staff are extended you know, patients, basically have a connection to us. So if we're not viable, those services are not going to be available for pharmacists. There's no point talking about extended scope if you're looking to defund pharmacy and rip the heart out of it. I think people are waiting with bated breath to see what 8CPA is. They're hoping it's going to be the solution. They're hoping it's going to make the difference. And I think that's probably why people have, like, paused a little bit. They're like, okay, until we know what that, that actually looks like, we don't know. But I also feel like... I guess there's not also, you know, people are no faith. cautious. Yeah. There's, a there's lot very of... little faith. At the exactly. It, when you have a government that's torn a CPA up in the middle, who's to say they're not going to do it again? In the end, it's an agreement. It's not legally binding, but we've had precedent of seven agreements that have stood their time and actually gone through with them. We have had the discussion with the alternative government and they have advised us that if a similar situation was to occur, they would have this discussion around a CPA and not in the middle. So that's some assurance, as, rely, as reliable as we can say a politician's word is. <laughs> that's that's the that's the sentiment we have from the alternative government. That something of this nature that would pretty much rewrite the underpinning principles of community pharmacy would be done around a CPA. That that's the CPA is an agreement between the government and the industry for the finance model to deliver the services in in a pharmacy setting, in a wholesale setting through the CSO. So at least that's the same saving grace for when the alternative government comes into uh, power next year. That'd be great to hear. <laughs> exactly. Too many broken promises from this current government. So we, we look forward to uh, seeing everyone down in Dunkley. And we look forward to using our white coats, our little uh, weapons, at every single polling booth down in Dunkley to, sh to put the pressure on.
So as I said in my uh, speech to everyone, I was like, it's time to get that bleach out. Make sure those coats are as white as they can be. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP Podcast and send us a message.